well, the corpses are coming and they will eat you. Great. So, you know, just get ready for that. I'm ready. Okay, good. Welcome to Pomegranates and Pitchforks. We are a true crime and horror podcast that brings true stories and not-so-true stories together in beautiful and disturbing harmony. I'm your host, Alexandria Young-Ray, with my lovely co-host, Sunshine Balan. Hello. 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 Um, is there anything um, we want to start with? I would like to start with the remnants that we should not forget about. Oh, Okay. So we're just or, gonna I don't actually know. start the episode. Oh, just I don't start know. the fucking episode. <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought that's what we were doing. No, we, realize... we are doing the episode. Just like sometimes <laughs> we're like, hey, we have a Patreon or whatever. There's updates, oh, but I haven't checked I... anything recently. I don't know if there's anything new. Yeah, I don't have anything uh, valuable to share. I mean, like I could, I, you know, whatever. There's lots of random bullshit I could talk about, share. but like, like yeah, I don't. I've been watching a lot of Buffy. I think everyone yeah. should know that. I got a, oh, what is it called? Antecede this with a. Oh, yeah, we're supposed to, we're legally required by Caroline to say Buffy before the beginning of every vampire episode. Mm. Well, there you go. So, Buffy. Job well done. I did it. I mean, it is, it is worth, you know, it's worth noting just as far as like our position on the issue, right? Uh, my position on the issue is yes, good. Oh, that's not what I meant. I meant just we are knowing pro where Buffy. We're... Yeah. <laughs> I think it's important to know somebody's opinion on Buffy the Vampire Slayer if you're going to listen oh. to a uh, vampire uh, episode of their podcast. What if somebody's not pro Vampire Slayer? Oh, well, then I feel like they should know, like, our position at the start, you know? just Oh, okay. Just, like, lead with it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Get out front with it. I can't think of any vampire stuff that I... Ex- no, that's not true. I was Expressly say I don't like... But I kind of expressly don't like Twilight. Yeah. I, I That feels, I mean, at a certain point, that, that even that starts to feel kind of bandwagony. But, like, whatever, I don't really... Uh-uh. I just don't care for it. No. I just... I want my vampires to at least be actually threatening. Yeah. Sparkly like, vampires are banned. That's the official stance of pomegranates and pitchforks. Sparkly vampires are banned. Yes. I would okay. agree that's the official stance. Official stance. Banned. Y'all can like your sparkly vampires. Yeah, that's fine. We just don't. But we will not have them in our presence. Not in my house, sir. Not in my house, sir. (laughs) I'm glad we cleared that up. That's some vital information. Vital information. Also, uh, should we thank the probably, what, like one person who watched us on Instagram Live? (laughs) You mean Blake? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Thanks, Blake. I mean, we saved it to our story, so I think, like, maybe a couple other people checked it out, but, like, yeah. it wasn't a lot. Yeah, well, whatever. But it was our first Instagram live. Yeah. Maybe I'll start doing them randomly when we get more followers. We'll find out. Well, and, you know, whatever. We'll get better at them as we do them more. True. True, 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 true. Speaking of Instagram and social media and stuff, we have a new helper. Ooh, yay, new helper! So I kind of I kind of want to just shout out to Miss Anne who's going to be helping us with social media 
from this point forward. It'll probably still mostly be me interacting, but mm-hmm. it might also be Anne if I'm like, hey, do this, do this posty thing, thanks. Right, but you'll still be like communicating directly with people via like the comments and things like that. Yeah, yeah. If people hit me up, I'll still respond. Just um, Anne might be helping post more. Yeah. Just sort of like clarifying that for maybe anybody who uh, wants to be sure they're actually talking to you in the comments. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm the only one that talks. All right. Let's let's real people start. Yeah. Yes, good? Yes, good. Good. Yes, good. All right. So, so we did Ancient Goddesses. So keep that in your mind mm-hmm, of like mm-hmm. these fucking boss ass bitches that sucked the blood of man. The one that I can remember the best is always Lamia, right? Because I have plants named after oh, her. Oh yeah, yeah, because of your la- your plants. Yeah. yeah, nice. Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. not the point. It's a uh, Lamia, Lilith, Lamashtu, Sekhmet, Kali. Yes. Damn, I'm good. That nice. <laughs> not in that or- order, but that's that's our girls. Hey, at least you remembered them all. And then we're gonna... Last time we talked about a bunch of, like, technically vaguely real shit. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, kind of defining what vampires are and then talking Mm -hmm. about what real-life stuff is vampires. Right. And so this time we're doing myths. Yay, myths! The vampire myths. And this is mostly gonna be stuff that becomes what we know today. Sweet. So I'm skipping a lot of stuff that has, that like has vampire things, but like pretty likely didn't actually contribute to the vampire. vampire. Okay. Yeah. Because basically every culture has a vampire the way every culture has undead monsters. Right. Or dragon or. Or yeah. Animal shapeshifter beasts. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. The vampire is just another one of those universals, and it would be really cool to, like, do, like, a worldwide here's every single vampire, but you could have a podcast that's just that. Yes, and somebody probably does or will after hearing that. Oh, that'd be rad. Just like, today we're going to be doing the Filipino vampires. I feel like they'd be sh- it'd be hard to be consistent with episode length with that, because with some of them you'd have access to way more information than others. For and sure. so, like... Some of your episodes would be like two minutes. Nah, you'd find stuff. I'm sure. Uh, you're probably there actually right. is a really cool. Like speaking of, there actually is a really cool Filipino vampire. That's um. No, <laughs> <laughs> I literally just said I wasn't gonna do this, and now I'm going to do this. But it's a. Uh, oh God, I don't remember the name. But it's a woman, mm-hmm. and she removes her torso from her legs, and flies away. What? And she's fucking terrifying and wonderful. What um what happens after like flies away then what? Like what what happens with the legs she or what's people? She... No, but like I think the legs just stay there. And she never needs them again? Like is this a one time thing? No, she like, comes how... back for them. Weird. I think they're cool. That's crazy. They're terrifying. They're really, really, really like frightening, but they're also cool as fuck. Yeah, where would that even come from? Like and they unhook their torso and fly away. Like, yeah, maybe maybe somebody that? saw a bat that they thought was like particularly humanoid. Yeah. And they were like, oh, it's a half of a woman. Yeah, she must have just yeah, left her legs somewhere. Like yeah, okay. Big ass bat. They probably have big bats there, right? Don't they? 
There's in the Philippines. Oh God. Well, I don't know about the Philippines, but I do know that there's this one bat that the New Jersey Devil was probably based on. That's like probably about baby sized in body. Really? It's a big fucking boy. So there definitely are some pretty big bats where like from a distance, I bet it would be like very confusing. Well, I just Googled Philippines bat and uh, the giant golden crown flying fox lives there. Hey! At least according to Google. Like the first, when I typed in Philippines bat, the first Google result was a video of the world's largest bat. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Holy so... shit, that motherfucker is huge. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Whoa. Okay, yeah, that I would absolutely believe that like a person had taken off their torso and flown away. Rare sight of endangered megabat in Philippines. Shit, that's a big ass. Wow, how does that even fly? Whoa. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I think it's so great that you uh, researched this and didn't, like, do a quick Google of Philippine bat. But this is why you talked to me. I, this I, is I, the, the Filipino bat, like, mythos was a thing that I didn't even research. It was just, like, a thing that I knew about that came up in conversation. Oh, really? I'm surprised. I mean, I guess I'm not yeah, surprised, actually. I'm not surprised at all. Well, okay, but your outline's different than mine, so you never know. I get the well, plebe yeah, outline, outline lest you forget. My outline your outline, just more detailed. Yes. Like I said, you give me the plea outline. You you have the plea outline. Yes, which is available for free on our Patreon. <laughs> if you want to be as salty as I am about what you don't know, I mean, you know most of it. I'm reading it out loud for you. <laughs> don't worry, plebe. I'm sharing. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how I think about you. I'm giving it to you in verbal form. <laughs> I know. I know. All right. Um, Jesus Christ. I oh guess yeah. we should get started. So blah, 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 mythos that's not Filipino bats that are fucking huge. Holy shit. That was rad. I'm so glad I learned that today. Today I learned. Today I learned. Giant bats. Bat big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bat big. So I just want to start with a reminder of Revenants. We talked about Revenants in the zombie episode, so I don't think we should touch on them again. Okay. If you're confused, so do a quick just... Google about what Revenants are. Well, I mean, like, we can we can do, like, basically, the Revenant is, it, it, it's your undead, like, man-eating blah blah blah, and it has free will. And so it's kind of a, a weird halfway between of, like, a zombie and a vampire, mm-hmm. as far as modern lore goes. Okay. But because at one point we did zombies, we did revenants for zombies already. Right. But just know they're totally important to the vampire lore as well. See, I think that was a perfect refresher. Got me in the right headspace to be thinking about this. It's perfect. Okay. Good. And then we're going to go back to Greece. Yay, Greece. Because it's always Greece. Mm. So, so we're going to start with a sort of. Okay. Do you want to hear a story that's way too good to be true? Ooh, I yes. Yes, I do. Okay. So this is the story of Ambrosio and Celine. <laughs> so this story is actually like 90% bullshit. Oh. The story starts with Ambrosio, who's from Italy. And it's most likely a reference to this artist Ambrosio Lorenzetti. Mm-hmm. 
And he lived in the 13th century. Okay. So not ancient Greece. Right. Not ancient Greece at all. Yeah. And then the more like, so, so basically this story was probably written about him mm-hmm. as kind of a weird tongue in cheek making fun of him. Okay. Maybe sort of maybe. Right. And then the more overt vampirism was most likely added later during the gothic obsession with vampires in like your 18th century. Okay. Okay. And I guess shout out to Marley because that's where I got that information from. Oh, cool. Yeah. I I did a Facebook like, hey, who knows Greek bullshit? And he hit me up and he actually had like. Did he have sources? He had sources. Ooh. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. So, I mean, I doubt Marley even listens to this, but hey, thanks, buddy. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so that's probably where it came from. I right. probably should have hid the ball. I probably should have told you that story and then told you that it was bullshit. Yeah, you should have. You should have hid the ball. My bad. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I think it's really cool because basically... This story is almost certainly not the real ancient Greek story. Okay. But there's this history in it and that it was created in the 13th century and then modernized in the 18th century. And so it's still history that affects our modern understanding. Right. It's just like a weird, this is how... It's more like become myths. Right. It's more understanding the story in the context of those times in history that makes it a piece of history rather than uh, the content of the story itself. Yeah. Kind of like how ghouls in Arabic lore Mm -hmm. were demons and they didn't become like undead until they were translated into French. Oh yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so that's why I decided to keep this partially because there's a lot of sources that believe that this is the origin story of the vampire and partially because because of the way it was spread it actually is a bit of our history it's just not the way you think it is right cool so i'm gonna tell this bullshit story and it's gonna be way too good to be true okay okay so ambrosio he's from italy he heads over to greece to apollo's temple at delphi because Mm -hmm. there's a famous oracle uh, Pythia, who is a follower of Apollo. Apollo's temple, Delphi, and Pythia are all Greek canon. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of this story has its places, you know? Uh-huh. He goes to meet Pythia. She gives him some bad news. Mm-hmm. And here's where the story becomes less canon. She she gives him some weird, cryptic, it's bad, blood will run, yada yada, right? Uh-huh. And he's upset. He he stays up all night. But in the morning, he meets Selene, who is a maiden of Apollo's temple. Mm-hmm. And he's also, or sorry, Selene is also the sister to Pythia. Okay. So she kind of goes and she helps out Pythia while she's in her weird oracle trances. Mm-hmm. And Ambrosio meeting Selene kind of takes his mind off of the spooky awful and makes him happy again. Mm-hmm. In the actual Greek myth, Selene is a goddess of the moon, associated with Artemis. Okay. And that's canon, but we'll get more into that when we come back around to it. Okay. 
instead of being instead of being a, like a maiden at the temple, she's a goddess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And it'll make more sense how that ties in. Okay. So in this story, <laughs> Celine is a maiden at Apollo's temple. Mm-hmm. He, Ambrosio, begins meeting with her every morning before she enters the temple, and they eventually fall in love. Okay. Apollo gets jealous, as gods right. do, because it's great. Because you can't date the temple maidens. You can't date the temple maidens. So he curses Ambrosio that he will be burned by the sunlight, which oh. is Apollo's, like, jurisdiction is sunlight. Right. And that also makes it so that he can no longer meet with Celine at sunrise. No, he cannot, can he? So I think originally in the like 1300s story, he was merely cursed with immortality. And the sunlight thing gets added in. Oh, okay. As a vampire thing, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's just kind of cool to go back through it, you know? Yeah. So he's upset. He runs off he finds a cave he meets hades and he begs he begs him to help hades agrees to protect ambrosio and Celine in the underworld but first ambrosio must steal the silver bow of artemis who is the goddess of the hunt and the moon mm-hmm. and hades gives ambrosio a bow and some arrows and suggests he hunt to provide offerings in order to get close enough to artemis to steal her bow but as collateral, he has to leave his soul in the underworld. Oh, no. So he goes with the remaining hours of his first cursed night, and he shoots a swan, and he drains the swan's blood and plucks a feather so that he can write to Selene to tell of his predicament. And then he gifts the swan's body to Artemis. And he carries on like this for a while, uh, killing a swan every night, using its blood to write to Selene, and then gifting mm-hmm. the body to Artemis. However, his bow is just like a regular bow mm-hmm. with regular arrows. So he's finally down to his last arrow and he misses the shot and he loses the arrow. Ugh. So he breaks down because he can't even write to Celine to tell her that he's failed. And Artemis sees this and comes down to him because he's been such a great hunter and worshiper. Mm-hmm. And he pleads with her to allow him to borrow her bow so that he can write one more letter to Celine. And Artemis agrees. Uh Uh-oh. Well, he has his chance, so he attempts to steal the bow. And Artemis, seeing his betrayal, curses him to be burned by the touch of silver, causing him to drop the bow. Perfect. So we've got sunlight, we've got no soul, and we've got silver. Perfect. And then where did the immortality come in? Was that only in the older story? it's later. Okay. So, again, he breaks down, and this time Artemis comes down and is like what and (laughs) he explains the whole situation with apollo and hades Mm -hmm. and i think apollo is artemis's brother yeah that makes sense and this time artemis takes pity on him again because it wasn't really his fault that he ended up in this situation right so this time she gifts him with immortality Mm. and god-slash-beast-like power, because something-something hunter. Mm -hmm. And she gives him fangs so that he can continue to hunt and drain swans of their blood so he can continue to write to Selene. Damn. And now they can be together? 
Because... Because Artemis protects them when they come out under the light of the moon. So I guess basically Selene, like, pieces out from Apollo's temple because Artemis at least kind of has his plan. And Artemis can protect Selene and Ambrosio. Right. When they're in the moonlight. When they're in the moonlight. Okay. So, so it's all fine and good. Although I think because Artemis is the virgin god or goddess, mm-hmm. uh, they're not allowed to like get busy. Right. But that's fine. That's because fine. Because they're together. But Selene eventually begins growing old. Oh, no. she's mortal. Right. And Ambrosio is not only immortal, but he also left his soul with Hades. So he can't be with her in the afterlife, even if he could die. That's a bummer. So again, he pleads with Artemis. And Artemis, again, has a solution. So the solution is, if Ambrosio bites Selene and drains her of all her blood, her body will die, but her spirit will live on. And the mixture of their blood can grant immortality to all of those who drink it. So, so is the play, is that where the whole like bite them, then let them drink your blood thing comes from? Like, is that the in whole this, deal? I mean, in this bullshit story, yeah. Okay. <laughs> in this bullshit story, right. It's bullshit. I keep forgetting. Yeah. This is all a fake story. I mean, it's always all a fake story, but it's not as old as it appears. Right. So he does this. Uh, reluctantly and then watches as her spirit is lifted up to the moon because moon goddess right moon goddess and now they can live on forever with moonlight and romance and all that jazz and they can have children together Uh because the mixture of their blood can create new vampires yes it can so i'm I am so glad that when I found this, I was like, this is too good to be true. Yeah. Because I couldn't find, I couldn't find any legitimate sources claiming this to be true, but I couldn't find any sources claiming this to be untrue. Right. Like claiming this is actually the origin myth. Yeah. It was just that like at every vampirehistory.com. Yeah. This was part of the, the origin myth. Really? Okay. And, and I was like, okay, but this is way too good to be true. Like, there's no way that a 2,000-year-old Greek myth got everything right that we have now. Yeah, that's, yeah, no way. I think people yeah. want that to be true when they want to actually believe in vampires. Yeah. So extra double thanks, Marley, because I was finally able to get, well, here's where it comes from. Yeah. Because otherwise I don't really know what I would have done. I probably would have told you the story and been like, I don't know if this is true. (laughs) Right. This is way better to know. Like, the more you know, it's way better. The more you know. Rainbow thing. So, so that's the fake Greek story. Mm -hmm. Which is cool because, I mean, for one, it is history. Like, it was created in the 13th century and then kind of recreated during the Gothic ages. Right. But also, it kind of shows how it's an old version of a reinterpretation of a myth that becomes the new canon. Right. Well, it's kind of just showing people it's a history of people creating their own canon. Like, that's like, yeah. So it's not, I mean... You're right. It's not specifically true, but it isn't really specifically untrue either. 
It just yeah. comes later in the timeline than it's presented. Yeah. So I just found it really neat. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. It is neat. Yeah. And also, now you have that story that you're going to find on all of the vampirehistory.com websites. And now I know. And you'll know what it is. Right. Exactly. That's valuable. You know, whenever you find me. the academic vampire story and this is missing, but you find the random fan-made website and this is there, you'll know why. Yes. Okay. Perfect. And I, I honestly find that super invaluable because... I didn't, like, I didn't understand why it was some places and not others. Right. Well, it helps you sort of understand the uh, reliability of your source. Yeah. So. Cool. So, yeah, that's a cool thing. So let's get into, uh, I don't want to say real myths. Do you want to tell me the actual myths now? or the I guess, one? yeah, the yes. actual stories. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So... So we're still in Greece for a couple more stories. Because Greece. Yes. <laughs> you can't. It, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of our stories come from the Mediterranean. And Greece is like smack dab middle Right, you can't ignore that. So it kind of makes sense how everything is Greek. Yeah. Yeah, it does. But, yeah. This time, we're moving on to... This is loosely connected, but it'll kind of make sense how it connects later. Okay. So we're moving on to the Strix. Strix, okay. Which is a bird. So the plural is Stridges. Stridges, okay. Stridges. It's a mythical bird that is a harbinger for ill omens. Mm-hmm. It feeds on human flesh and blood. Great. And their appearance is similar to an owl. It's got like the fixed eyes that move in the skull. Mm-hmm. Like, with the skull, as opposed yeah. to rotatable eyes. Yeah. And um, beak, claws, that sort of thing. But it's also said that the head is positioned below and the feet positioned above, kind of like a bat. Uh, how does it fly? Or how does it ambulate in any general way? I think it probably flies normal, but then when it's down... Its feet are up and its head is down. If you look it up, it's just a bunch of pictures of owls. Yeah, and like <laughs> gaming fans. Yeah. That's annoying. Yeah. I think canonically, there's not a whole lot of descriptions of the Strix. Yeah, because even I, I added myth to that and that gives me a few better, more like artist illustrations, but still they're not really yeah. that specific. It's mostly owls and gargoyles. Yeah, and, and then, like, like a few, like, sexy ladies with wings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which actually kind of reminded me of something entirely different. It reminded me of harpies. Mm-hmm. Which will make sense in a second because it's another cursed woman. So a woman becoming this weird demonic bird thing, and especially, you know, some of the artists' versions of Strix's, yeah. Stri Stridges, is kind of harpy-esque, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think harpies are Greek as well. I don't remember. That sounds Greek. I don't remember. Y'all, all of my Greek knowledge is 100% from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what they say. Teaching is the best way to learn. It really is. It really is. I know so much more shit about weird shit. So much more shit about weird shit, yes. <laughs> 
So you want to hear the origin story yes. of the Strix? Yes. Okay. So this is another cursed woman because Greek loves those. Yeah. Well, like, you know, rape culture, right? <laughs> oh my God. But for real though. Yeah. I mean, Greek was Greek. I don't know. People, ancient Greek culture was pretty bad for women. It was a yeah, get raped sure. and complain about it, get cursed kind of thing. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, like, it's not just ancient Greeks. Like, no. In the Old Testament, the story of Dinah is 100% the you rape it, you buy it story. Yeah. Terrible. That was the story of snake's heads. Medusa? Medusa. And I love Medusa. Mm-hmm. I actually very, very much love Medusa. And her story can be interpreted in a few ways. But essentially, she got raped and was cursed for yep. getting raped. Yep, pretty much. Anyway, let's curse women is the moral. Of Greek mythology. Thanks, guys. Of Greek mythology. Of all mythology. Of everything ever. So this is the story of Polyphont, who was the granddaughter of Ares and a maiden of Aphrodite. Okay. So Polyphont wanted to remain a virgin. And that meant that she fled to follow Artemis. Right, because Artemis would protect her. As we've mentioned before. Yeah. And also Artemis is the virgin goddess. Right. But Aphrodite is not the virgin goddess. No, not at all. And so she was offended by this rejection and cursed Polyphont to lust for a bear. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Not just like be in love with, but lust after a bear. Yeah, lust after a bear. And this is one of those like, oh man, Greek gods are something else. They're 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 petty and they are rude and they are awful. Mm-hmm. So basically, like something bad happens to a woman, and then all of the gods make something more bad happen to them. Right, in trying to like kind of help, but like really just like, isn't that always the story? It's like a stage for their own squabbles. Yeah, it's it's awful. The story of the Lamia. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So so Aphrodite curses her to lust after a bear. And Artemis was disgusted by this, which is fair. But she then curses Polyphont to be attacked by wild animals. Uh what? That's not very nice. Right? This seems like an unnecessary escalation in like the wrong direction. Yeah, like Polyphont's like, oh, I suddenly want to fuck this bear. And Artemis is like Instead of being like, maybe don't, she's like, the animals will attack you. Yeah, that's terrible. I was like, okay, asshole. So Polyphont flees. I feel like that's kind of worse than making somebody want to fuck a bear. I don't know. I don't I don't. Because my, my one argument for that is at least you still have, like, your prefrontal cortex to tell you that, like, maybe that's not a good idea. And maybe you could just walk around being, like, super unsatisfied the rest of your life. Oh, no. She absolutely fucked a bear. Oh. Yeah. After Polyphont flees, she gives birth to two man-bear hybrids. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Agrius and Aureus. Agrius and Aureus. Okay. Yes. Which is kind of great names. Yeah. Agrius would be a good name for like a weird looking dog or something. <laughs> oh. So Agrius and Aureus grow into large and strong monstrous creatures who cannibalize strangers they met on the road. Okay. Yep. So they are big, giant assholes. And the gods saw this, and once again, were like, I'ma curse these bitches. Poor Polyphont. Because, yeah, that really sucks for her. Like, Agrius and Aureus, like, okay, sure. But, poor Polyphont. Yeah. But, 
as Polyphont was the granddaughter of Ares, Ares was able to persuade the gods not to kill the three. Instead, they were all turned into birds. Okay. Now, Agrius was turned into a Lagos, which is some kind of eagle owl, and Aureus was turned into a vulture. Okay. Which, at the time, they hated. Now we know are awesome, even though a lot of people still hate them. Yes. But you shouldn't, because they eat your trash. I always get excited when I see them flying over my house. They're so cool. Yes. Very large, too. I like, they're very ugly and terrifying and big, but, like, they're not gonna fuck with you. Their heads are just ugly, but the rest of them, they're pretty striking birds, yeah. Yeah, they're very beautiful. They just have, like, weird face. Anyway, Polyphont was turned into a Strix. Oh, because she got the most fucked, then. So she gets to be the monster? Yeah. flesh, flesh and blood eater? Yeah. Gross. Yep. And so that's the origin story of the Strix. And it's, like, it's kind of similar to, like, the Minotaur. Yeah. So, the Strix will kind of come back in. I'll, I'll bring it up later. So I did find, um, when I did Google the Strix, I found a few pieces of art that look more in that, oh, what would that actual era be? Like the, like the style of the Baroness album artwork. I saw some illustrations of Lady Strixes that appeared at least somewhat historical and fit very nicely with the myth and don't seem like weird and modern. Yes. Oh, good. That's cool. Yes. Ooh, spoopy. Oh, I love them. Oh, they're horrid and I love them. Yes. But aren't they very harpy-like? Yes, they are. That's why I wanted you to just, like, I was explaining it very poorly and that's why I wanted you to uh, see that picture or those see pictures them? because I yeah. that's exactly what it made me think of. Because they've got this kind of, like, terrifying woman body and then like at least they have bird wings and claws yeah and then how bird like or woman like they are beyond that is very it varies it depends yeah yeah which is really cool yes so yeah i don't know you you know how much i love the like horrifying evil vicious wicked women oh i know i know you love i them love so much. wicked women mm-hmm. <laughs> you do you do indeed give me a maleficent all day any day <laughs> all right and then one more Greek story, which will make connections to a bunch of the other stories when we're just sort of talking about random vampires all over Europe. Okay. Is the Vrikolakas. Say that again. Vrikolakas. Vrikolakas. It's just very Greek. Yeah, that sounds, <laughs> um, it's kind of like how this, this Greek cookie, Kulurakias, it's a Greek Easter cookie. Nice. <laughs> Yeah. Names sounded similar. Greek words are like a lot of vowels and then K's and S's. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, Vrikolakas is a kind of vampire. Great. They are generally sinners, unbaptized babies, uh-huh. non-Christians, and witches. Okay. After death, right, obviously. After, death, after you die. You're, it's, so it's like yeah. a little zombie-esque, like you die and you'll be brought back that way? Or you'll come back yeah. that way? Basically, like, these are the people that are most likely to be coming a vampire after death. Right. Their corpses would rise and then feed on the living. Mm -hmm. So, status quo. Uh, what sets these into a new category is that the corpses would get tired and have to return to their graves to rest. Like you do. Which, yeah. Which is why you find these crazy exhumed and desecrated bodies from, like, ye old Europe. Because they thought that, like... They were checking to make sure they were still there. Because they thought that there was a vampire and they had to fucking slay that shit. Mm -hmm. And this myth does, um, did their bodies deteriorate or were they, was that even uh, addressed? 
I I didn't see a whole lot on how to tell if the I, I didn't research them as hard as I could have mm. because I was like, okay, we've done a lot of Greek. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Sorry, um, my question doing a bunch of other stuff that is like that. Sometimes so my I questions are too involved. Your questions are too good. We've we've had this conversation before. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'll I'll do worse. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> Carry on. I I didn't actually put this in my outline, but there are a lot of historical sites, historical burial sites, where a lot of the bodies are normal, but a handful, like maybe one to like five mm-hmm. of the bodies are like clearly fucked with. Weird. And so like somewhat recently they found like an 800 year old burial site in Ireland that had these giant rocks shoved in the skull's mouths. Yeah. There's like a Venetian burial site where there's bricks in in one of the mouths. So sticking bricks and... in, in mouths of dead people was kind of became commonplace. Or relatively yep. common. And also like obviously the staked bodies. Right. Yeah. That's that's a very status quo. So, destroying a Vricolacus can be done by exorcism, beheading, dismembering, impaling, and cremating. So, like, most of the ways you would kill somebody back then. You're, well, and also, like, your classic vampire killing. Yeah. Like, take the body apart, take the head off, stake the body, burn the body. Yeah. Classic. Very classic. So... Now I'm going to get into my favorite thing ever. Great. Are you so excited? I'm so excited. Okay, you know why this is my favorite thing ever? Why is this your favorite thing ever? Because we're going to China! (laughs) Great. I'm not 100% sure why I put this here in the outline. Uh Uh-huh. Other than because I wanted to talk about it before I wanted to talk about all this other stuff. Okay. (laughs) It's, It's just cool. So... We are talking about the Jiangxi, mm-hmm. which they're known by Westerners as the Chinese hopping vampire. Oh, I think you've mentioned this before. They're so cool. Bouncy, 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 bouncy. And um, of course, I am a racist asshole and tokenized my father. <laughs> <laughs> When I was doing this research, I, I hit up my dad, who is Chinese for any listeners that don't know me personally, <laughs> and was like, hey, dad, do you know anything about the Chinese hopping vampires? And he sent me like the Wikipedia article, but then he also sent me this really cool article written by this woman named uh, Louise Hung. Uh-huh. That was literally about like how her grandfather saw these monsters and what most likely was the cause for these sightings. Cool. Perfect. Yeah. And as my dad is my dad, I'm like, Hey dad, do you know anything about the Cheng Shi? And, you know, I think I explained like we're doing vampires and so blah, blah, blah. I wanted to talk about the hopping, the Chinese hopping vampire. And of course my dad goes, 
you know, their name actually literally translates to stiff corpse ghost, which means they're not actually vampires, <laughs> which is like the most my dad thing to do. They're not actually like, vampires, actually. Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So we're totally wrong here, but we're going to talk about them anyway, right? Yeah. Well, this is another one of those really cool things where the actual myth is a really, really cool thing. And then the translation got bonked and it became another really cool thing. Okay, cool. So we'll get into it. So for most of Chinese history, and you know, you were in world history with me. There's a lot. Yes, there's a lot, (laughs) a lot and a lot and a lot. There's a lot of Chinese history. So we're talking like, you know, thousands and thousands of years. So for most of Chinese history... There's been a belief that the death of the body is not the end of the journey, and that when a person dies, they must return to the soil from where they came. Okay. So they have to be buried, like, directly where they were born? Basically, they have to be buried, like, in the location. Okay. So if a corpse wasn't buried in their birth soil, you risked having an angry spirit. Right, of course. Which is where corpse walkers come from. We'll get back to that. Okay. Let's first talk about what's a jengshi. Yes, let's talk about what's a jengshi. And I am pronouncing it probably vaguely wrong. I'm sorry. I'm an American. I don't have the sing-songy tonal voice that a proper Chinese person does. <laughs> proper Chinese person. It's it's something like jengshi. Right. Yeah. So in the original mythos, the uh, Zhongshu are reanimated corpse that feeds off the chi of the living. And your chi is basically like your energy. Your life force. It's your life force. And they're stiff because of rigor mortis. Uh-huh. So they can't Is walk- that why they hop? Yes. Oh, they can't God. walk properly. So instead they resort to hopping. Oh. And keeping their arms outstretched for balance. Oh, really? Isn't that amazing? That's so, like, that's so not scary for a scary thing. I know. You it's just have really to bounce funny. around like a little I really love it. There's some, there's some really fun art of them that's, that's not the scariest, but still a little scarier than, like, like, there's also, like, the May from Overwatch, like, skin. That is her as a Jingxi. And um, it's very cute. <laughs> but it is, it's a little spooky when I get through the rest of it. So they also have pale white, greenish skin. Mm-hmm. And they are said to be covered in something of a thin white hair. You're like all over? Yeah. Which is often believed to be some kind of fungus or mold Ooh. covering the body. Which makes it kind of gross and spooky. Yes. They wear these white uniform robes, which is which is usually like a a burial robe. Like you know that classic like Asian ghost. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, like white dress, long hair. Oh yeah. That's usually because that's how people were buried. Right. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, and then this is the weird one. Like, this is the thing that kind of makes them. I mean, other than the hopping thing. Yeah. It makes them specifically unique is they wear a talisman with a ceiling spell on their foreheads. A what? A talisman with a ceiling spell on their foreheads. Seal them to what? I think the earth. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't 100% sure what the ceiling spell was. 
But if you look at art of them, it always has the... Uh, that thing on the face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Later on, when mixing the Chinese myth of De Zhengxie mm-hmm. with the European vampire myth, we get the blood-sucking aspect. Right. Which is most likely an incorrect interpretation of them feeding off of the chi of the living. Right. Because for European cultures, the life energy was the blood. Right, which, like, makes sense. It's, like, you know, kind of, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, when the ghouls became, like, undead graveyard loiterers, that was literally just a French guy, like, taking advantage of the fact that he was the only one that knew the real translation. Oh. Whereas, like, this is probably an honest mistake. Right. Yeah. Because, because absolutely, if you believe that your your life force, your energy, is your blood, then yeah, and then you're trying to understand what the chi is, and there's this undead creature that feeds off of life force. You're like, oh, it's a vampire. It sucks blood. Yeah, it's blood. Obviously, got it. Thank you. So, the the original like proper Jiangxi are probably not blood sucking. But it makes sense how they became blood-sucking in more modern interpretations yeah. of them. okay, that makes sense. And by more modern, I mean more Western. Right, more Western. Also, when I was talking to Dad about this, we, we went to brunch or something a while back, and I was talking to him about how much I loved the fucking vampire stuff that he sent me. And he was like, yeah, isn't that cool? Uh, apparently, his Uncle Jack once said, says that he saw a Jinxie. Oh, really? Which is really cool! Go Uncle Jack. <laughs> yeah, go Uncle Jack. So, this, I mean, like, up until sort of very recently, as far as, like, modern history goes, mm-hmm. people really did see these things. That's cool. Yeah. You want me to tell you what most likely happened? Yes. So, we're going to get a little sciency, which takes out a little bit of the wooey-woo, but I think is cool. We've talked about this. Yes, yes. <laughs> How, not why. How, not why. And then you saw the picture of the Jigshi that yes. I posted, right? Yes. Yeah. People did see them. They did see the Jigshi. They they would come in the dark of night, and people knew not to look directly at them, or they risked having their chi drained. Okay. If, you know, they locked eyes. Right, okay. Also... So, so in the myths and the stories of eyewitnesses who who saw these jengshi, they were usually being herded, either in a long procession of Taoist monks, uh huh, or individually by a single corpse walker. Corpse walker, yes, okay, which is amazing. So there's that need to have the body returned to the soil, right? And these people were the people who were tasked to take them. If they were buried in the wrong spot and woke up. Yeah. Or if they died in... They, they, it was actually if they died in the wrong spot. They were um, they were tasked to take them back to their... Homeland. Okay. Yeah. So travel's expensive and difficult and technically a biohazard since you have a literal dead body. Yep. So what better an option than to make the corpse walk itself? And how do you do that? 
these corpses only travel at night because they were dangerous to the living. And they were often brought through villages on their way to their final resting place. And villagers were, again, told not to look directly at the Jiangxi. Uh-huh. And there's also this Chinese belief that encountering the dead was bad luck. Right. Which, like, okay, fair. So it's kind of like a double, like, like you want to look at them because it's spooky and cool and you're interested, but you really don't want to, like, look at them. Right, right. If the Jingxi were being herded by a large group, then they'd be led one by one by Taoist monks who were there to keep them in line. And the process began by praying and chanting over the corpses in order to possess the dead to walk. Cool. And during the herding, one monk brought up the back, and then you had a couple on the sides, and one monk brought up the front, and then there was a final monk in the very front who would rhythmically ring a gong. All right. And that was, like, the herding process. Okay. Yep. And I think, so, I I mentioned uh, Louise Hung, who wrote this this article Mm -hmm. that I got a ton of this from. Like, this is, this is me retelling her article, okay. so I 100% am, am, am citing this. But her grandfather saw the corpse herders, like, the Taoist monk, huge line of corpse procession. Crazy. So how do they explain that? I'll get to it. Ugh, I'm so eager. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh... Um, and, I, and I believe that my great uncle, mm-hmm. great great uncle, Jack? Yeah most likely saw a corpse walker. Okay. So if it's if it's a corpse walker, they were individually hired to walk, walk the corpse back to its final resting place. Mm-hmm. The corpse walker would use magic to reanimate the corpse, then would carry a white paper lantern and a basket filled with fake money that he would occasionally drop on the ground to keep the corpse following him. Oh, that's so funny. I love it. <laughs> Follow me, I drop money um, sometimes. Oops. Oops, I dropped this and then they dropped the corpse. (laughs) Awkwardly (laughs) hopping up to it. Awkwardly (laughs) hopping up to it. (laughs) 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 So people reported seeing the corpse walkers with a corpse wearing a long black robe following behind. And the corpse was usually much larger than the corpse walker and kept its face covered with a mask. Mm-hmm. So so that's what people were actually seeing. Their explanation for what was happening. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about the large herds led in single file, Taoist monks, or folks claiming to be Taoist monks, would tie a bamboo pole to either side of the corpse's upright bodies. Right. Then the poles would be placed on the shoulders of the one man in front and the one man in back with the corpses dangling. And so it would look like they're hopping with the rhythm of the corpse walkers. And so as they were walking, it would look like they were stumbling and hopping on their own. Like a marionette. That's upsetting. That's so cool. Isn't that crazy? It's dead people puppets. Dead people train marionettes. Yep. Dead people marionette train. Dang. That's sort of it's terrible. kind of hardcore. That's I, like... I really like ooh, it, though. That'd be so metal to be involved in. Like, imagine being one of those it's corpse so walkers. It's so metal. It's so metal. Like, oh. Uh. So that was that was the, the huge herds. If you see a single corpse, 
usually it was actually a pair of corpse walkers. One was the lead to be the corpse walker. And the other was to follow and be the corpse, i.e. it would carry the corpse on his back. And then they'd had the long black robe to obscure the corpse walker or the corpse carrier. Oh. And then the weight of the body would contribute to the corpse's stiff, wobbly movements, making it look again like it was hopping. Oh, that's even more metal. Got to be like carrying a dead guy on my back with yeah. a robe covering us both. It's literally carrying a dead guy mm. over miles. Yeah, no. So because of the nature of de- decomposition, which we talked about in the previous episode, yeah. both corpse walkers and corpse herders not only traveled at night, but usually only traveled during the cold of winter. Right. That's like the only time that you yeah. could do that service. Makes sense. Yeah. And also, this was a very northern China thing. Mm. You wouldn't get this in the China that's close to Japan and Korea. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Hot and marshy, and that is not where we carry dead bodies around. Mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> I would think that wouldn't be anywhere, but... Yeah. So, so you mix that with the superstitious expectation to not look too closely, and there is a perfect recipe for a reasonably believable myth... That is unlikely to be disproven. Yeah, there you go. A hundred percent people were actually seeing these walking corpses. This was a real thing for a long time. Right, it was a good enough myth that they were able to, that they just wrote it off like that. Well, it was just, you know, when you grow up as this part of your culture. Right, people genuinely believe that's what they were seeing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I mean, why wouldn't you? You literally saw a corpse walk. Right. You know, yeah. you have no reason to not believe that you saw what you saw. You saw a corpse walk. Right, which you kind of did. You literally did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just was a trick of the eye. Yeah. But you totally saw it. You totally saw it. This is where it gets a little boo. Corpse walkers were reported to be seen in China as late as the mid-20th century. Really? Yeah. And they were a part of Chinese culture, all the way until Chairman Mao. Uh-oh. Who tagged corpse walkers as counter-revolutionaries and engaging in superstitious activities. How lame. Let people have their traditions. I know. Well, Chairman Mao, I mean, he was basically just Chinese Russia. Yeah. But, like, USSR Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just culturally stunting and shitty douchebaggery. That's so upsetting. Yeah. And I mean, like, yes, it is dangerous to literally carry a corpse because blah, 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 biohazard. But like, (sighs) like, whatever. Yeah, there's a there's an actual story of corpse water walkers who were arrested under Mao Zedong. And I mean, (sighs) it's a little funny for a second because they were jailed with the corpse they were walking. Uh, That's uh, only funny for a second. Yeah, it's only fun for a second. But then they tried to escape and one of them was killed on their way out. Mm. And it's like, man, Mao Zedong, you fucking suck the big one. Right, is that really a offense that you need to go to jail and die for? Probably not. Yeah. So that's when corpse walking stopped. But like, literally, there are people that are still alive today that probably saw a corpse walk. That's crazy. And that's fucking cool. So that's my favorite Chinese part. That's so great. 
And now we're getting back to Eastern Europe. Which is kind of close to that part of China. You know, relatively. I mean, thinking about, like, Russia. Yeah. Like, it's close-ish. I don't know. We're from America, so everywhere's very, very close to us as far as, like, that part of the country. Or Yeah. Jesus That Christ. part of the world. That part of the world goes. Yes. <laughs> because in America, you have to drive eight hours to leave your state. <laughs> yes, you do. That's a thing. Very big, yep. spread out country. So, so when I say that Eastern Europe is close to China, don't think that it's just me being stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's also me being American. It's all well. That doesn't change the them saying that it's me being stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a matter of perspective. Ah, yes, I have a different perspective. Mm -hmm. An American perspective because it takes eight hours. Well, yeah, but it, I mean, you know. it's the, it takes out eight hours to drive out of my state perspective, not the I don't give a fuck about geography of other countries perspective. That's true. Yeah. So back to Eastern Europe. And this is I think this is the reason I saved this for last mm -hmm. is because Eastern Europe is where we really get vampires. Yeah. So, nowhere has vampire history the way Eastern Europe has vampire mm -mm. history. I'm so about Eastern Europe. Let's get it. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty metal. So, we have the Turkish Ubir, or the Russian Upir, which we kind of talked about in the etymology. Oh, yeah. And I, I lump those two together because they're super similar. Mm -hmm. So, most likely the Russian folklore borrowed from the Turkic folklore. Okay. Which, again, makes sense because of the etymology. Right. History. Yeah. They transfer like that. Yes. So the Ubir were a being, undead or living, mm -hmm. that subsisted on the life force of the living, usually in the form of drinking their blood. That sounds like a vampire. Right? Mm -hmm. These creatures were reported to be dark or red in color and bloated because of the recent drinking of blood. Like ticks. Yeah, like ticks. And also, it's kind of that we talked about the this, corpses like the getting, bloating yeah. and the reddening as a natural part of decomposition. Yeah. A lot of our like Eastern European vampires are like, ah, it's just death. Yes, it's just <laughs> death. You saw death. Sorry. It's just death. But, you know, it a thing. So literally all that was required for a body to become an ubir was to have an animal, which was usually a dog or a cat, jump over the body. Really? Yep. That's all it needed. Really? <laughs> that's not very much so not very much basically it was really really easy to become a vampire in eastern europe culturally speaking why do you well just i guess maybe this is too uh broad of a question but i guess it's exactly the question we're addressing which is culturally speaking why would eastern europe find so many vampires or be so like this is a vampire and this is a vampire and this is a vampire and like so into it. I think it just sort of became status quo. I think it was just sort of that it sort of kept ramping up in that area. Yeah, I guess I just always think that there's a, uh, especially after you know seeing you over the weekend and talking about history even more. I just always wonder if there's a larger like a larger cultural phenomena that sort of lends people to believe the certain things that they do makes it easy for them besides the status quo i mean it's probably a you know it's probably both but yeah it's probably a little bit of everything as most things are yes 
I just want to know what all the things are, I guess. <laughs> that is valid. I mean, that that me. <laughs> but I want someone else to tell me. I don't have to figure it out because that's too much. That's you. That, that, that is also <laughs> that's, you. <laughs> that's my job. Mm-hmm. That's That's what I'm here mm-hmm. for. My job is just to ask the good questions. That's like it. Yeah, I think that it was just their way of handling death, you know? Yeah, I mean, obviously. It sort of became more status quo. And in in the periods of time that we're talking about, you know, sort of, I'd say, like, Black Plague to, like, 18th century. See, this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Exactly. The, the context that makes this sort of mythology <laughs> really come alive and stick. Basically, vampires were the back, the Black Plague or tuberculosis, mm-hmm. you know? Like, huge, huge plagues would come through and they would wipe a bunch of people out. And they were like, what did this? Probably an evil spirit. So this is interesting. This relates to, I was working with a student and she was like, showing me a testing on her qu- uh, question on her quiz and was not understanding why it was wrong. And it was because she, or she didn't understand the right answer that they were showing her. She's like, why is this right? And the question was something along the lines of like, uh, you know, the Black Plague had blank effect. Though the famine and the Black Plague had what effect on Europe or whatever. Killing a bunch of people. And it was like, it was like killing a bunch of people and people like moving to the city, basically. Like people condensing in urban areas. And she looked at me and she's like, I just don't understand like why they would be condensing into urban areas if like... There's a plague. You think that's the opposite of what they would do. And I was like, well, they didn't think of it that way. (laughs) Like, you have to recognize that they didn't have that understanding of disease. They didn't know that the city, like, that the cramped quarters and the filth and the poop and all these things is what's spreading the disease. So there's no, there's not that, like, logical leap from don't go here. And that seemed to kind of blow her mind, this idea that, like, you know... Once again, context. At different times in different places, you're going to approach things differently. Because back in the day, people's response to the Black Plague and everyone starving to death was to move to the city. Yeah. It's kind of the historical version of false belief. Mm -hmm. Which is, uh, for people that aren't psych people, the developmental stage in a child where they understand that somebody can Think something that is different from what you think. Yes. Yeah. So. And uh, and yeah, it is a it is a harder thing to do in a historical context because you have all of this information that you know. You know, like now we understand how a body rots, and so we hear every single proof of it's a vampire and you're like, well, no shit. Right. But they didn't understand how a body rots because they didn't have like literal scientists devoting time and energy right. to weird rotting And that wasn't fields. like a cultural norm, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, literally just doing autopsies for medical or artistic reasons was extremely frowned upon and often illegal. Right. Up until relatively recently. And so, although exhuming a corpse and stabbing it and burning it was considered status quo, understanding the corpse was not okay. Yeah, not something that you could do. Well, and so that's just, so, I mean, I think that's what it comes down to, is it's super valuable and very difficult for people to step outside of their own perspective to understand a larger picture. 
uh, whether that's politically or whether that's historically, like it's super beneficial. Yeah. So I think, I think that it's, I think absolutely it's based on like the plagues that would literally wipe out like a large majority of the population. Right. And I also think that it's sort of a, this area kept dealing with death in this way. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And that became the norm for the area. Right, it was a self-perpetuating cycle that was really, really hammered in by some horrific shit. <laughs> yep. We just did the Ubir. Ubir! Now, the Upir is fairly similar. The Slavic Upir. Upir. The, the difference is that there's a belief that the soul after death would wander the earth for another 40 days. Okay. During that time, it could choose to re-enter the body or possess the body of another who was not properly buried. Okay. So it didn't even have to be its own body. It could be another. Yeah. And it didn't matter whether their body was properly buried or not. It was just, like, always an option. No, I think that it was... Or would you only get an Upir if you didn't bury somebody properly? I think that the Upir could come back in their own body. Mm Mm-hmm. Or the body of somebody who was not properly buried. Okay. And so no matter what, there are possibilities. It was just, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, and the whole there, there's a lot of um. So, so in their in their culture, souls could help or harm the living. Okay. Depending on its disposition. Okay, so it's not like Jamaican and Haitian, so, where it's like always bad, like always get the fuck out. You don't belong here. It was usually bad because it shouldn't be there. Right. But it didn't have to be. Okay. Yeah. And common causes were, you know, for an unclean soul, were the death of an unbaptized child, a violent death, the death of a sinner, or an inappropriate burial. Okay. So kind of your classic causes. Yeah. Now we're going to go to Romania. Romania, really, really get our big vampires. Mm -hmm. And did you see my uh, Strigoi? Yeah, I've been staring at him for a while now. Super cool. That horrid. I love it. I love them. Okay, so, so we'll probably get into this a little bit later. I I wasn't sure if I wanted to post this. I think I'm going to post this later in our next next episode. But for this episode, just know that like the Strigoi. It's spoopy. They're cool. <laughs> They're way yeah. cool. This one's a good rendering and, and, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was this was art that I found on Reddit and it was actually like cited by the artist, so I figured like fuck it, I'll fucking Oh cool. Add so this you shit. can use that and then you can actually like if we use it on Instagram, you can actually cite them. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. So we're gonna do Dustrigoi. Now, remember how I was talking about stretches or strix? Yes, strix. And the plural is stridges. Stridges, yes. Stridges, strigoi. So they are, yeah, they're the same root. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's the reason I felt the need to tell the story of the strix. And the story of the strix is... The weird spoopy birds. Yeah, that it come from the rape and the bestiality and the punishment. Yeah. yeah, this is this is a lot more of your classic Eastern European status quo vampire, okay. but we'll get into it. 
uh, right now. Yay! So these are our, our Romanian boys. Romanian boys. They, they are the most. They they are the closest to our Bram Stoker. Eh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Bram Stoker is a completely different movie. <laughs> <laughs> Bram Stoker. <laughs> That's a good way to like catch somebody masturbating on Halloween. You Bram Stoker. <laughs> oh no. I'm almost certain that Bram Stoker's Dracula has been made into oh, a has. And if it hasn't, I'm mad at the porn industry. Call them. Because y'all fucked up. Yep. Sorry. All right. So they could turn into animals. So they had shape-shifting. Mm-hmm. And this is a lot of the stuff that we talked out in the What a, what a, what a Vampire Do. Uh-huh. You know, all of the all of the garlic and all of the What, what a Vampire yeah, yeah, yeah. And how I said, like, it's very Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. These are our boys. Yay! Romanian boy! And, you know, old, ye old Romania is Transylvania, right? Oh, right. Perfect. I always forget that. Yeah. So, so these really, really are our boys. So, they had shape-shifting. They could become invisible. Cool. Which is some bullshit. Some bullshit. <laughs> Uh, they had supernatural speed and strength. And obviously, they feasted on... Blood! Blood! Dun, dun, dun! So their physical appearance, recall that a sign of being a vampire was the body rotting or the body not rotting in the way people thought they were supposed to be rotting. Right, of course. You could usually tell a corpse was a strigoi because the only part of the body that had rotted off was the nose. Ew. So, that's where your, you get that weird. That's your tail. You do get that weird nose thing sign. with the vampires, specifically in the Bram Stoker. Isn't it the Bram Stoker's Dracula where he has that weird slit-looking nose? No, I think Bram Stoker's Dracula is just like your classic-looking sexy dude. Oh, what's the other one? But there's absolutely uh, vampires that have fucked up noses, and they are... Oh, Nosferatu is what we're talking about. And what? Ah, you got it. Damn it. That was the ball I was hiding for Nick's next episode. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Now I'll just have to actually make that little chart. Well, I just... I, I... I thought I had this vague recollection. I was putting stuff together and I thought it was something we talked about in the last episode, but maybe it was something we talked about in person. But the Brom Stroke, Brom, <laughs> Brom Stoker's Dracula <laughs> it. and Nosferatu, how weren't you saying that Brom Stoker's yeah, Dracula became a thing because like something, something movie rights for Nosferatu or no, 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 no. So, Bram Stoker wrote Dracula in 1897. Okay. And they were trying to get the movie rights in 1922, Mm -hmm. which is obviously within the hundred years that you keep rights for copyright. And Bram Stoker's widow wouldn't give up the rights, and it was this big stupid thing. And so the Germans who were trying to make they Dracula decided to remake Dracula as Nosferatu. Okay, okay, I knew they were connected. So, that I just switched them. Yeah, no, and 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 that's the cool thing is you know your classic blah 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 vampires, especially like your gothic vampires, are Bram Stoker's Dracula, right. but your Strigoi 
are Nosferatu. Interesting. Well, and that whole, that yeah. whole, you know, once again, we're circling back around to weird cultural things, seeing how they directly shape the myth as well. So, like, we start with mm-hmm. um, Ambrosio and how that story is changed because of, like, cultural circumstances mm-hmm. and how it's not the true story, but that's still how it, like, influences the development of the mythos. And then what you go to mm-hmm. kind of the Jiangxi, right? Where... Mm-hmm. The story changes, like what where they really did see what they thought they saw, but and here's what probably was actually happening, right? And then here's how it was translated in European lore that made it so that they became vampires, right. as opposed to like corpse ghosts, right? And then you get to like you know more modern times with Bram Stoker and movie rights, and the mythos mm-hmm. is. Like, there's that mutual, it's almost like mutual influence with the myth going back and forth. Mm -hmm. Like, the myth influences society, society influences the myth, and you can kind of see how that's happening in a more dynamic way with this myth than others we might have covered. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and and that was something that we were kind of talking about in the last episode, uh, was the myth influencing itself, Mm -hmm. where, you know, copyright is the reason we got Dracula and Nosferatu. Yeah. But now our modern understanding of vampire lore, we kind of sort of believe that as a vampire begins aging, their aging becomes the Nosferatu. Yes, the sexy vampires become Nosferatu. As yeah, in Buffy. Which is really, really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that ancient, the, the oh, what do they call the them? The really gross ancient yeah. one. The, the master. master. The master yeah. being all sorts of gross, and then his minions being also all sorts of bonable. Bonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the uh, the Strigoi, although they were absolutely the influence on Bram Stoker, Bram Stoker's <laughs> Dracula. Nope. Fuck me. Nope, Bram Stoker. Bram Stoker. I want to look that up, but like, I don't want to. <laughs> Not right now. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else can. <laughs> yeah, get at us in our uh, DMs and let us know if that's a thing. Yeah, so so the Strigoi, as far as like what they are, who they are, what they do, absolutely influenced Dracula and like our modern understanding of mm-hmm. vampires, which then created Nosferatu, which were Strigoi influenced by Strigoi. Perfect, beautiful, love it. It's like a weird vampire love triangle. It's a self feeding cycle again. It's just like this lovely. Yeah. Yep, I love it. It's kind of like, uh, it's almost like those, like the balls on the desk where you pull the one and they like, it swings and... Oh, Newton's Cradles. Yes. Yep. Just keeps feeding into itself. Yep. It's pretty cool. So yeah, the they had the rotted off nose, they had the bald head, and they had these long pointed ears. Mm-hmm. Which, again, you can see in Nosferatu. Yep. They also often had cloven hooves and a tail, but I don't think that that's inherent. Yeah. I think that's just adding demon features. Right. That's just like, here, we have demon myth. Mix it in. Yeah. But because of the shape shifting, they could make themselves appear normal. Oh, like handsome young men. Exactly. So some stories of the Strigoi involve them moving towns and starting up a new life, including remarrying and having new children. Oh, dear. And then the children would are essentially just regular kids, but when they died, they would also become Strigoi. 
Of course. Of course they would. Yeah. So most Strigoi were actually some kind of witch or sorcerer, Mm -hmm. which, you know, kind of goes back to that Eastern European, like, vampire witch lore. Or way to explain people that you don't understand. Yeah, that too. Absolutely. But, you know, witches for bitches, guys, was a sorcerer. Witches for bitches. Yes. And we talked about him. I was looking through old outlines mm-hmm. and remembered that his name was Vislav of Polosk. Vislav of Polosk, yes. Yes. So th- that's our that's our Eastern European sorcerer, werewolf, vampire guy. Yes, which Vislav we brought up because the in call thing. Okay, I yes, remember that. yes, yeah, yeah. So, so a lot of Strigoi were just witches or sorcerers. The most dangerous, which were the Strigoi Mort. Were the undead? Strigoi Muert. As a wait, I thought they were all undead. No, some were witches or sorcerers. Oh, duh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I thought they were dead witches or sorcerers. I think I don't know. I don't know the lore well enough, but and I only found that in one place was that there's okay. a difference. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I am. Th- th- like my understanding of Strigoi was a hundred percent like. From me doing research for this episode. Okay. And so I don't have enough background research to really know how realistic the sources I have. Okay. Sorry, guys. I'm trying. (laughs) If there are any Romanians who know better than me, hit me up. I will love you five ever. (laughs) (laughs) Help me out. According to Romanian lore, this is the silliest thing. I don't remember where I got this. I think probably from Lore Podcast. Maybe. Maybe I got it from some random website. Anyway, to find a vampire, Mm -hmm. you take a seven-year-old boy, you dress him in white, you put him on a white horse. Then you set the horse into the graveyard and watch to see what grave the horse steps near. But what if they walk across all the graves? Or, sorry, stops nearest. Oh, stops nearest. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. Magic horse boy identification program. Magic horse boy identification. So, killing a strigoi uh, is most of your classic stuff, but there's some complicated complicated stuff to add to it. And this is specifically a Romani method. Okay. So, you exhume the corpse. Mm-hmm. You remove the heart and cut it in half. Okay, you wow. drive a nail through the corpse's forehead. All of these at the same time. Well, you do it one after the other. It's a steps thing. Right, so all of these have to happen. That's what I meant. All of these happen. Yes, yes, yes. Damn, okay. Yeah, no. You go hard. All of these stories, you go hard. (laughs) You go hard, okay. You go hard. Nail through the forehead. You place a clove of garlic under the tongue. And then you smear the body in pig fat. Okay, yes. Uh, I think that it has to have been gathered on... St. Ignatius Day. Wait, the pig fat has to be gathered on St. Ignatius Day? So everyone has a jar of St. Ignatius pig fat just in case? Yeah, of course. Okay. (laughs) Just in Um, case. And then, yeah, just in case. And then you rebury facing down. Okay. Which is one of the things that I talked about last time. Yes. You dig downwards instead of up. Yes, yes. So the first modern story of the Strigoi was published in The Glory of the Duchy of Carniola by Johann Weichard von Valvasor. Von Valvasor. <laughs> Damn. 
So this is a huge writing on the Duchy of Carniola, where Valvasor was from, which was then part of the Holy Roman Empire and is now part of Slovenia. Slovenia. Yeah. I have a map of Eastern Europe up. Your Eastern Europe's. I think it's kind of middle. I see Slovakia, but I I see Hungary, Serbia, Croatia, Greece, Bulgaria, Istanbul, Romania, Moldova. Slovenia is between Croatia and Italy, below Austria. Oh, there it is. I see it. Yeah, there it is. Hello, Slovenia. So so it was a huge, huge, huge writing. It was like 15 books Mm -hmm. and a bunch of addendums. And in these writings included a tale of vampires... And the story of Yuri Grando. Yuri! So this is a man who died in 1656, Mm -hmm. but returned as a Strigoi in 1672. Oh. Now, he would arise at night to terrorize the village, killing villagers, and sexually assaulting his widow. Oh, no. Which was, you know, great. He was averse to crosses. But his jet, his chest couldn't be properly staked with wood. Grando only permanently died after his beheading. Dang. Yeah. So again, it's one of those, like, multiple step processes to killing the fucking thing. Yeah. Yep. Crazy. Now, vampire hunting is still common in small villages in Romania. Yes. Most villagers have an ancestor who... Way to hold on to your culture, guys. <laughs> was a vampire or at least was a vampire victim really yeah now we're talking small villages we're talking like literally population 300 okay but it's like still present in 2004 the body of toma peter petri god i should have looked that up (laughs) it looks like it could be either yes but it's probably petri okay so in 2004 the body of Toma Petre was exhumed. So he died in, like, December 2003. People got sick. His his niece, his nephew, like, his family. Mm-hmm. You know, classic vampire story is, is attacking the family. Mm-hmm. He was exhumed in 2004, in, I believe, January. His heart was cut out oh and burned gosh. to ash. And then the heart ash was mixed with water and given to the ailing rev- relatives damn to drink get it (laughs) and they recovered hardcore (laughs) hardcore this is 2004 as metal (laughs) like this is modern millennia yeah all right yeah vampire hunting is still a fucking thing how cool and I even read the article that, I mean, it probably wasn't just one article, but um, I read an article that had been translated to English about this family. That's so awesome. I love it. So. Also, that's like the least creepy kind wild. of cannibalism for me. Like the burnt, the heart ash burnt to just like whatever. It's like, okay, it's just carbon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's absolutely not the only time this happens. Cool. There's other stories. Yeah. That I will probably tell next time. Yeah. Oh, that was fun. Oh, all of the myths. Oh, they're so spoopy. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, my God. Vampires are fun. Yes, very much so. Official stance. Official stance. Vampires are fun. Vampires are fun. Oh, dear. All right. 
Is there anything else we need to say? Gosh, I don't know. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. Yeah. Tell your friends. That's helpful. Rate us. Review us. Share us. Love us. Love us. Follow us on the social media. Yes. Palm Pitch Pod. At Palm Pitch Pod. At Palm Pitch Pod. (laughs) (laughs) I drank that wine kind of fast. Mm. That's valid. Yeah. It'll help you sleep. Yeah, I hope so. All right. That it? That it. Okay, love you, bye. Uh, Love you, bye. (laughs) 